It has been a long time coming. I've been meaning to tell you this for a while. Um, I've been thinking about it, and I've been looking for the right opportunity to share it, and I think finally now is the time. So I'll say it. Here it is. Merry Christmas. Today we are coming back to our study in the book of Romans. Uh, last week we took a quick break with our wonderful baptism service, and today we are coming back. But it's the season. Before we dive in, let me ask you directly, how's your Thanksgiving? How's your Christmas going to look like? For some of us, when you hear this season, this is the most wonderful time of the year, filled with a celebration and hope, gathering the friends and family, remembering what Christ has done. It's the best time of the year. But on the other side, for some, This is the very question that we dread. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? What are you doing for Christmas? This is also the highest depression season as well. It only reminds you the hope that you have, yet the reality has nothing to do with your hope. You desperately hope to belong, but this season reminds you that you don't belong. You desperately hope to be known and loved, but this can be a very sorrowful season. For many of you, I'm aware of that, and we love you, and we are so glad that you are here with us each day. Is a hope a bad thing then? Is that, is that really bad to hope? No, not at all. Hope is a great thing. In fact, hope is actually one of my favorite words in English. Hope, I live for that. I am very fond of that word. So, in fact, today's message is titled, A Christian's Unfailing Hope. For a Christian, hope is just not a wishful expectation, but a certainty. I hope and pray that you will catch the glimpse of this glorious hope as you dive in. So, we've been studying Romans chapter 8, and we've been going through verse by verse very in detail. The pros of doing that is that we get to learn all the nitty-gritty details about this glorious chapter. But there's also one danger, which is sometimes when you focus on a tree so much, sometimes you miss the big picture of what this is all about, what this chapter is. In fact, Romans 8 has so much to do with suffering. Yet also there's hope in the middle of all that. So let's open up your Bible to Pew Bible 944. Romans 8, 28 to 30. But as I said, to set you properly within the context of Romans 8, I'll read a few verses in advance to remind you how much Paul has talked about suffering. Yet even in the middle of suffering, there is hope. We will see that. So today's text is Romans 8, 28 to 30. But I will also read 18 to 20 and 24 to 26 to remind you the overall context of what we are talking about leading up to 28 and 30. Romans 8, 28, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is sin is not hope. 
For who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the reading of God's word. Do you see how much Paul focuses on suffering, yet at the same time, there's incredible hope embedded in all this? For Christian, hope and suffering, yes, can dwell together. It's not an oxymoron concept to one another. So I hope and pray that we'll catch the glorious glimpse of our unfailing hope as a Christian. Three things we learn from this text. Number one, God works all things together for our good. Number two, our good is to be like Christ. Number three, Christ is coming back. Number one, God works all things together for our good. Two, our good is to be like Christ. Lastly, Christ is coming back. Let's dive in. Point number one, God works all things together for our good. When you read verse 28 here, Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul conditions two things. In order for all things work together for good, first, you love God and you are called by his purpose. When Paul conditions this verse by those two saying, who love God, who are called according to his purpose, Paul is not talking about your amount of love, but as much as your object of love. In other words, if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this message is for you. If you identify yourself as Christian, that you believe what Jesus Christ has done, all things will work together for good. Now, let me speak to you for those who have not trusted Jesus as their Savior. Maybe you've been here for years, or maybe this is your first Sunday that your friends brought you. Uh, either way, we are so thankful that you are here among us. We really are. And let, her, let me introduce us properly. We, the Christians, Christians, are a group of believers who believe that there was nothing we could have done. Nothing we could have done to earn anything. God's salvation for us. Yet, in our helpless and hopeless estate, God himself came down. God himself became fully man and fully God. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. He lived a life on this earth. And he died on the cross for us. He died a death that we deserved. In order, when you trust that, you are now Christian, God's children. Now you might say, oh, I've heard that and I don't buy that. Uh, that's okay. We are still glad that you're here with us. Even if you don't buy that, I hope and pray that you engage with us because we are about to present you our unfailing hope. You know what hope is all about. Hope is such a wishful expectation in this world. And hope is such a scarce commodity nowadays. So much depression and anxiety. Don't you want this glorious hope? We have something to offer to you. I hope and pray that you will glean and learn from this message as well. 
Now, for all of us, implication number one of this text. Let me start with bad news first. Implication number one, bad things are still bad. Here, Paul does not say all things are good, but he says all things work together for good. What does that mean then? Even God is sovereign of all things. There are still bad things in this world. Look, if you look at John chapter 11, there Jesus was. The reason I'm bringing you John chapter 11 is this. Sometimes there are so many bad things, sufferings and trials in this world. But we sometimes glorify this verse a little too much in our own way, however we want it. So when the bad things come on upon our brothers and sisters, we say, oh, actually, that's good. That will make you stronger. Pull yourself up by bootstraps. Suck it up. No, that's not proper Christian's response. All things work together for good. That means bad things, all things are not all good. It works together good. Bad things are still bad. So in John chapter 11, Lazarus is dead. Jesus goes and he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He fully knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But what does Jesus do first? The shortest verse in the entire Bible that we tease about, but it has incredible significance. Jesus wept. Why would he weep if there is a happy ending that Lazarus will ra be raised from the dead? Because Jesus is identifying himself the sufferings and the death that was not meant to be in this world. So our Christian response is supposed to be, I am so sorry. I'm here with you. Yes, things are so much broken. Do you get that? Not all things are good. Bad things are still bad. Number two, another bad news. The believers, the implication number two, the believers' lives can be as bad as non-believers. Sometimes when you read this verse, all things work together for good, we hear that it's, oh, now that I'm Christian, all things will be well. All things will work together for good. We define good as however what we want. But no, yes, there may be tax exemption, but there's no suffering exemption, even if you're Christians or not. Have you ever read verse 35, what it says? Look, verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Then he goes on saying this, Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What is Paul saying? Paul is assuming all kinds of sufferings and trials in this world. Just because you're a Christian now, you're not exempt from suffering. There is still so much brokenness in this world. This is very, very, very important to understand. Because sometimes Romans 8.28 is often understood as God's promise for prom prosperity and comfort. And it's nothing to do with that. If you believe that because you're believers, now all things should be just fine. Everything will go just as you hope for. Then when the suffering comes, you will begin to doubt your salvation. Oh no, I trusted Jesus. Then, then why is my life falling apart? Or you might become incredibly bitter or cynic. Forget it. I don't care even. In fact, I've met countless Christians who have put their faith in Christ, and because of their faith in Christ, they've suffered even more as a result. Even in our congregation, I recently met a lady who radically turned around her life. God has found her. She put her faith in Christ, and as a result, she had to radically change her life, and it has been deeply painful. 
the church, Bible does not guarantee suffering exemption life. Yet, the reason why I read entire eight, 18 through 30, this section, is that in Paul's mind, hope and suffering are not mutually exclusive. He can still dwell together for Christian. So, hope is not the absence of suffering, but hope is the presence of God even in the middle of suffering. Do you believe that you can still be full of hope in the life circumstances that are completely falling apart? It is God who can use all things for good. Now, let's go to good news here. Implication number three, it is God who uses all things for our good. Now, I only wear this watch on a Sunday morning. This is a mechanical watch, just analog watch. I mean, I'll usually look at my clock on my cell phone, but I don't carry a cell phone on Sunday morning. I mean, it's one thing for your phone to ring. If my phone ring, I get in trouble probably. So I don't carry a cell phone, but I mean, on Sunday morning, I just look at, I wear this watch so that I can remind myself of what time it is. Um, if you look at the front of my watch, it's just a little cheap watch, nothing special about it. It's not digital, it's analog, mechanical. Every single second goes correct. Talk, tick, talk. It goes second by second flawlessly. But if you look at the back of my watch, or I better say inside of my watch, uh, there's the gear that moves forward clockwise, just like your life. Maybe finally you are making some progress in your life. Maybe finally you are becoming a more joyous person. Maybe finally you are coming overcoming the temptation and sin. Things may go very well, but in the back of the watch at the same time, uh, there is the gear that runs counterclockwise. Life is falling apart, doesn't it, sometimes? You desperately wish for something and nothing's working out. You say, oh, God, I can't believe I did that again. Oh, Lord, how long? Why am I still struggling with this? Why is there so many conflict in my family? That was worse than Thanksgiving. And there are still things. Are those good? No, bad things are bad still. However, our God is the master clocksmith. Those two things interlock together and work together to make everything beautiful, make every single second in my watch tick. So let me ask you, what is the things in your life that's just going counterclockwise? What is it? You might be saying, some of you are here constantly thinking, am I good enough? The self-condemnation that just runs backward. You're like, God, I know you love me. But am I ever good enough before you? Or you may be just struggling with the same sins over and over again. I'm sorry. Yet, not all those things are good God can even use your failures and flaws. God can use all the good things that are going in your counterclockwise, all the bad things, sufferings even. He can use all together for our good. Do you trust him? Estonia, take heart. For Christian, hope is the reality. It's not just the hope does not have anything to do with our performance, but it is God's grace upon us. That he is still sovereign over us despite all the sufferings, despite your own brokenness. Take heart. Do not lose your heart when life seems just look like counterclock gear in your life. It all, God can use all things together for our good. He's the master orchestrator. He can use all things to make beautiful music unto himself. Now, 
then we've been talking about all things work together for good. But what is good then? Read verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Point number two. Our good is to be like Christ. Let me explain a couple of technical words before I jump in here. When Paul used the word for new in this verse, yes, God being God, he knows all things. He has the knowledge. So he foreknows the future event. But in the Bible, when it says God knows someone, it does not merely mean God has knowledge about them, but it means God has relationship with them. So in Matthew chapter 7, not 9, I accidentally said Matthew 9 in first service, in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, I never knew you. It, Jesus does not mean Jesus doesn't have any knowledge about him. Jesus does not have any relationship with him. So in a sense, for new is God for love. Another technical word, predestined. For those God for love, he predestined, meaning God has a destination for them on our journey. What is the end of destination? What is the end of all that? Look at it. To be conformed to the image of his son. See, all things work together for good to make us more like Jesus Christ. That's what this verse means. When we read Romans 8, 28, we must read that with 29 and 30. Otherwise, we turn, I've met many, many Christians, well-intended, but they misuse this verse so often. That what they mean by all things work together for good, as I like dialogued with them, I realized they mean all things work together for God to fulfill my desire. Oh, all things will work together so that I can get this job I want. All things will work together so that finally I'll be healed from sickness. All things will work together so that Finally, I can have wonderful friends or a lover. All things you work together to be more socially accepted. All those are great things. I hope that happens to you, that being said. But that being said, this verse is desire, is God's desire for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's God's chief desire for us. If we will worship him and we will be more like Jesus Christ, it has nothing to do with God fulfilling our wish list. When we turn God into just all things work together for God to fulfill my loudest desire, when you think it that way, then we are turning God into our idolatry fulfillment manufacturer. And God is not that, certainly none of that. God wants you to stone him, to seek his countenance, his face more than seeking his hand. Do you Is God supreme to be made in the likeness of Jesus Christ? Is that your supreme desire? Or is God just your crutch to get whatever you want? God, I pray that. I, just, I really just want this. I want your hand far more than your face. But God's chief desire for us, Stonio, is that we will be more and more made in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, the question that we must ask ourselves is then, do you want that? Deep down, do you really want to be like Jesus? Here's a little surprise for you, Stonehill. Jesus wasn't a middle-class man. He was born poor. He died poor. Do you want that? Jesus did not have anything 
earthly success, money, finance. At the time, where you bury is incredibly important that people would buy their tomb in advance. Jesus had no burial place in advance. He was laid, you know, borrowed a tomb. Oh, Jesus died of capital punishment. Is that what you want? Do you, but God says, when you, Jesus told let me tell you, Jesus did not suffer so that we would not suffer. Jesus suffered so that when we suffer, we will be made more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. That we would be more humble, more joyful, more self-controlled, more loving, more gracious, more patient. If we are truly honest with ourselves, we know that we fall awfully short with all that, right? I'm thinking, oh man, I just blew that last week. I'm nothing like it. Am I really desiring to be more like Jesus? But when I look at myself, I'm constantly falling short. Wait, Jin, you just said our hope is unfailing. Yes, it is. Because our hope has nothing to do with my own performance. What is our hope then? Look verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, also glorified. Point number three. Our hope is this. Christ is coming back. Let me explain this. There are a couple of other big words in this verse. When here Paul says, use the word justified. It's a, it's a million-dollar word, especially in the book of Roman. If you ask me to summarize the entire Roman in one word, I'll use justification. If you ask me two words, I'll probably pick in Christ. Um, justification is what all the entire book of Romans is about. And justification is this. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God no longer sees your guilt and condemnation, but God sees Jesus in you. Therefore, he declares you legally righteous. Now, we have God's righteousness in us, that imputed righteousness. It's one-time action when you trust in Jesus. Another million-dollar word, glorified. Glorification, actually, is a future event. Glorification will take place when Jesus comes back. What is glorification? Let me explain here. Even we are justified for those who have put trust in Jesus Christ. Even you know Jesus, you still struggle with many things. After justification, this life that we live as believers is called sanctification, meaning we are becoming more holy day by day. We follow God. We trust him. We follow his command. We mess up. We get up again, filled with struggle and toil, yet we strive to be more like God. Yet there are many struggles in sanctification. Yet when Jesus comes back, either by our death or rapture, when he comes back, our salvation complete now forever we live in shalom there will not even be the presence of sin or suffering we will be fully and completely conformed to the likeness of jesus christ it has nothing to do with our performance and what we can do but god's guarantee so here in paul's mind look at this do you see the glorified the future event that will take place actually is written in what tense it's written in past form. Look at it. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Wait a second. It has not happened yet. What does Paul mean? In Paul's mind, glorification, Jesus' second coming, is as certain as it had already happened. One commentator puts it, this is prophetic past tense. 
I love that use of the word that we will be fully glorified and each certainty. See, hope for Christian is not just wishful expectation, but it is the certain reality. Preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones says this glorification word like this. The tense in the last word, glorified, is the most daring anticipation of faith that even the New Testament contains. That is our hope that Christ is coming back. And one day, there will be no suffering, no pain, no sorrow. And he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. We will be fully made in the likeness of Jesus Christ. The word Christians that we use often, do you know what that word really means? It means little Christ. Christ followed the little Christ. Christ is the firstborn among all his brothers. He is our true elder brother, and we will follow him forever and evermore. We'll be like him. Where is our hope then today? Do you get that? It's not just a wishful expectation, but certainty. I enjoy watching some thoughtful movies. Um, and according to IMDb, the highest rated movie of all, internet movie database, I mean, the highest rated movie of all time is the Shawshank Redemption. And maybe some of you guys have seen that. I've, saw, I've seen that myself as well. In that movie, Andy Dufresne is imprisoned. He's imprisoned in, a, in the prison, and he's having lunch with the prison mates, inmates. And during lunch, Andy is describing this incredible hope and beauty he has inside of him that even no prison guards can steal from him. And he's talking that to among prison mates. And one of the prison mates, Red, who's been imprisoned for a long time, who's been denied of parole for many, many, many times, who's incredibly cynic, as he listens to Andy describing this incredible hope he has, Red looks at him daringly, very seriously, and confronts Andy about hope. This is Red word. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on your side. Perhaps some of us feel that way. Why would I even hope? It's a failing hope. Why would I even dare to hope? You become very cynic and just become like red. And down the movie, Andy escapes the prison. And before he escapes the prison, he tells red, Hey, red, if you ever get out of prison, do me a favor. Find a letter that I'm going to hide for you. I'll have something for you in that letter. And then I'm going to have something just to do it. So Andy escapes the prison, and after many, many, many denials, finally, Red, after 40 years of imprisonment, he's also getting paroled. So he's getting released. But the real life, he's not used to it. He's falling despair. Real life is more hard for him. What he used to is the prison life. So he's struggling at the point of giving up in the real life. And then he remembers Andy's words. So goes out to the find, takes a journey to find that letter. And then finally, he finds a little treasure that Andy hid for Red. In that letter, this is what Andy said to Red. Perhaps well, we need to hear that too. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. Let me tell you, Stonehill. Remember, Stonehill, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. Our hope is alive. We have living hope. Jesus Christ came first time to live and die and bleed on our behalf. He bled. 
So that when we trust in him, when we trust in our crucified and living Savior, this living hope becomes our functional reality in our lives. Do you have this living hope? And this hope will come back. Our living hope is still alive and come back. So Stonehill, do not lose hope. Hang tight. Hold on and hope on. Hope is worth of everything to cling on to. For some of you who do not know the love of Jesus, how he bled and died for you to secure that hope, let me tell you, Jesus loves you. Jesus is pursuing after you. For those who know Christ as personal Savior, would you hold on this, to this glorious hope, a Christian's unfailing hope, that our Christ came, we remember, and he, our living hope, will come back once again. So in this Advent season, remember, anticipate, and one voice says, Maranatha, come, come soon, dear Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, where is our hope, O oh Lord? Sometimes we are so desperate and we try to find this hope within us. We try to find that in life circumstances. About, oh God, help us to look to you, our living hope, who bled and died to secure this glorious hope. God, we fully acknowledge that hope is such a rare thing nowadays. But help us to not lose hope. Help us to hope on, live our lives, knowing that there is one day, the eternal glory that we have will not compare it to this present suffering. So Lord, may we become Christians who know this glorious hope and hold on to this day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.